Hello, everyone. Welcome to the AMT Tech Trends podcast, where we discuss the latest manufacturing technology research and news. I am Benjamin Moses, the Director of Technology, and I'm here with the amazing Stephen Lamarca, Technology Analyst. Thank you, Ben. <laughs> You're welcome, Steve. On this <laughs> cold, rainy day in cold, uh, Virginia. disgusting day. <laughs> it's a miserable part of winter. And we needed it. <laughs> I need a good cleanse. Yeah. <laughs> Steve, I know you're a big Formula One guy. Yes. Well, I mean, it's tapered off in the years. <laughs> you know, in, sure. in college, I was big in Formula One. And then I made the beautiful transition to follow. Oh, and a lot easier to follow, by the way. Actually, that's debatable. Made the transition to Le Mans racing. But yeah. no, let's talk about Formula One let's real stay quick. With the t- you know, um, I'm really dating myself and it makes me feel old now because I'm a big fan of high revving, naturally aspirated engines that that tend to scream and shriek. Yep. You know, high pitched engines. You like the audio side of yes. Formula One. Yes. I love that sonorous scream, the wail yeah. of a Formula One engine. Right. Even through the TV, it sounds amazing. Even through the TV, it sounds amazing. You put on some open back Sennheisers, even better. <laughs> even better. But since probably the early 2010s, Formula, whenever they implemented this dumb uh, <laughs> t- uh, turbocharged uh, V6, right, right, everything went to poop. <laughs> Fairly recent. But like, so like, all right, let's let's go back. Around the era of when uh, Brett Favre killed the stock market, like 2007, 2008. You want to explain that real quick? Yeah. So everybody thinks like, you know, everything, uh, you know, went downhill in 2007, 2008 because of the stock market crash. Right. Well, why did it crash? It crashed because not because of like, you know, bankers selling things to Ireland or whatever, (laughs) you know, they claim it was. I I don't know finances. I'm not going to claim to know that stuff. Nobody does. It it was because of Brett Favre. (laughs) Brett Favre for two years straight was like, oh, I'm going to retire. No, I'm not going to retire. I still want to play. But, you know, I'm getting kind of tired and I got some gray hairs. And, uh, you know, I got this deal with Wrangler jeans at Walmart. Uh, but you know, no, I'm going to keep playing. No, I'm going to retire. That went on for two years straight, yep. and it covered up not just ESPN. When I was trying to learn about this new kid in Formula One, Sebastian Vettel, <laughs> who was just dominate, like people totally forgot about Mercedes Benz and Ferrari, yep. and we're like. Why does an energy drink team <laughs> have a dominating Formula One team? And well, an up and coming Formula right. One team. And who is this kid, Sebastian Vettel from Germany? <laughs> yep. Is he from Germany? He speaks German, so I'll assume so. I think it's German. Yeah. Um, and no, we couldn't know any of that because <laughs> Americans know nothing about Formula One. Right. And I was like, I feel like I was up there. Like I, I was getting a lot of news from the Internet. Yep. And like I thought it was a big deal when it oh. In my roommates in college at the time, my roommate Chuck was is huge Yankee fan, still is. Um, he uh, he was so ticked uh, at ESPN sure. because 2007, 2008 were incredible years in the MLB, yep. incredible baseball seasons. Right. But you wouldn't know because <laughs> Brett Favre was dominating the news. Yep. And okay, let's stop talking about sports. Let's get back to Formula. Um, no, no, no. Let's talk about what happened oh, in gosh. that. The reason why the stock market crashed is because 
everybody was being updated in ESPN and just like the news in general about what Brett Favre is going to do. And all of these shareholders and <laughs> and stockbrokers weren't able to stay up to date with like industry newses <laughs> and stuff. So everything when m- money started moving, they couldn't keep track of it because all they knew was Brett Favre. And that's why the thing crashed. All and that's Favre. why everything uh, went to poop. <laughs> Thanks, Brett. <laughs> Thanks, Brett. And because of that, Formula One went from these 2.7 liter screaming V8, 2.4 liter right. uh, V8s, high, right, like 16,000, 19,000 RPM right. uh, to turbo inline sixes or not inline six V6s that sound like vacuum cleaners. <laughs> um <laughs> They sound awful. Yeah. It's been almost a decade now. I want to say it's been at least a decade. Right. It's been at least 10 years. Yep. And they still sound awful. <laughs> and to add insult to injury, the cars even got ugly, too. They yeah. were yeah. they they looked like um, th- there were a few Formula One teams that not only did like the cars just. It was like we reverted back to the 80s where everything was designed <laughs> with a straight edge roller and cocaine <laughs> to. um it wasn't even that because right, at least right. that had some excitement some to it. There was the cocaine, yeah. you know, <laughs> right. um, the formula one cars just looked like a child with a ruler and looked down at his or her pants, <laughs> saw genitals and put it on the front of the car. There was a lot of genitalia. Like, it was really gross. Was, like those cars were hideous in the early 2010s. Yep. And on top of that, they sounded awful and they still sound <laughs> awful. But the good news was in 2019 when, uh, the world was only starting to go back to the status, the status of being awful again. <laughs> um, Formula One decided, hey, this is the next uh, 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 layout or mm-hmm. uh, this is the next template, right. the design template for the next generation of Formula One cars. You know, you teams get ready to start designing your cars to look like this. Right. And 2022 comes around that 2019 concept car is now being implemented. Nice. Um, Formula one cars for like the longest time have had these like minuscule, like 15 inch, 14 inch uh, wheels. Right. When no car in real life has a wheel that small. (laughs) Um, Now Formula one cars still finally have like a 17, 18 inch wheel on them, which look really nice. Right. Uh, And it's cool. Um, So the styling is there. The next step is the engine, but I have a feeling I'm That's not going to get gonna my go. hopes up nah. with gas prices the way they are. <laughs> we're not going to have any high revving, wailing uh, uh, engines anymore. I fill up the car this morning. Almost hit triple digits. Dude, it cost me $15 to fill up the motorcycle, <laughs> the motorcycle yesterday. Fifty. I've never spent more than $8 to fill up a tank on That's a motorcycle. Outrageous. Uh, I went through my own struggles this past week. I, I bought a new red dot for one of my pistols. Okay. I went from, uh, you know, a fairly inexpensive one experiment, um, try out red dots to something higher end, like a loophole. Went to the loophole um, Delta Pro. Fantastic looking, just holding it. Um, it didn't come with mounting screws because that's part of the mounting kit. <clears throat> it depends on the mounting kit that you have. So uh, the mounts that I, that I couldn't find any screws in my house. So that were that correct length. So I, right. go to, so I go to Home Depot to check the threads that I have uh, the, on the mount itself. Uh. Figure out it's a number four uh, thread, number four by 20, I think. Um, look around Home Depot. They got to have screws. I, they had the, the thread checker there. No, the small size I have is number six. <laughs> this is going to be great. <laughs> so I'm putzing around. I spent a half hour because like, if you have a thread checker there, there's got to be a number four screw. Nope. <laughs> 
So uh, went back to, went back to the house, and of course these are countersunk um, screws. So I was checking the length of the the one that came in the package. The one's not going to fit, but the overall length that should go into the mount. Um, so I thought I had that length correct. Ordered something on Amazon. I went for the slow shipping because I'm trying to package all my stuff together, not have ten packages delivered uh, different days. Um, so the half inch length that came in, put it through the uh, red dot. Didn't make it through the red dot. <laughs> Didn't touch the base. Jeez. <laughs> I don't know how I screwed up the length. So uh, I placed another order for the next size and the next size above that. So I'm gonna. So I have 50 screws of number four that's half inch long that I'm never gonna use. Uh-huh. I've got two packages of 10 that I'm probably gonna only use two of those. So I'm gonna have a, a 20, um, you know, 18 more screws laying around that I'm never gonna use. Yeah, this is fantastic. <laughs> so as as we all know, I went through a similar thing with the robot arm yep. recently. I think we talked talked about this the last we podcast, did, yeah. so I'm not gonna touch on it again. However, like. I totally feel the screw thing. And <laughs> my my first question before I go on uh, is, did you try contacting the red dot manufacturer to be like, hey, could you send me another set of like the screws that came with this thing? Uh, no, I didn't try. So I looked on their website. Uh, so I looked at the mounting plate company. Uh, oh, see if the, I, mounting the mounting plate. plate. Yeah, they would have had that. So I checked the website to see if they had enough information. They didn't have thread. They didn't have the thread size and pitch. And. Uh, they didn't have recommended screw lengths. They recommended the screw holes, but they they had a list of their red dots and they had recommended um, hole locations. And yeah. um, uh, but they didn't have any information on what length you should buy. So it's a little frustrating on that. I could have wow. called them, but so I don't okay. like calling people. <laughs> I've got two more screw stories for you. Yeah. And don't worry, it's not that kind of podcast. <laughs> um, but uh, I recently, uh, well, for for Christmas. Or my birthday, I forget which one it was. They're both around the same time. I uh, I got a second hard drive. I got a second terabyte from my gaming rig. Nice. And I open it up. Yep. I have Sean, our IT guy, come over to my house mm-hmm. because we're that awesome. <laughs> um, and he helps me with the installation because I got to move the graphics card yep. out of the way. I got to take that out to get the, to the um, NVMe M.2 Gen 3 <laughs> slot. And to plug in the SSD and um, the standoff is there. Yep. There's no screw in the standoff. Of course not. So we call it a day. <laughs> I contact Corsair yeah. who build the PC yep. and they also make the case that right. my, every all the components are in like, Hey, could you send like a hardware kit? Because I need, I want to expand the hard drive capacity uh-huh. or the storage capacity. And I'm missing a screw for the standoff. Sure. They send me a kit. About a week late, week goes by. I get a kit in the mail. It comes from all the way from China. I have the tracking number and everything. Um, get the uh, kit in the mail. It's got a screw in there. It's not the right screw. <laughs> of course, it's not. got all this other stuff too <laughs> that course. I do not need. But the one standoff screw in yeah, there isn't yeah. the right screw. That's a bummer. So I probably shouldn't be telling you this. Sean and I are just like okay. Well, Sean's like okay. We're going to the office. <laughs> we go into the IT storage room. Some he opens hardware. up two dead computers that need to be parted out anyway. Yep. And we get some standoff screws. They fit perfectly in the PC. <laughs> he got two of them yeah. just so because the original uh, hard drive SSD that came on the computer yep. has a Chrome screw. Ah. Screws in the IT office are black. Black oxide. They're subdued. Yeah. So you're like. We're getting two for consistency. We're going to swap out the other one. too. <laughs> so he does the, does me solid. Yeah. Other story. Number two, 
Um, I totally feel the pain. I'm collecting action screws for my Remington 700 right now. <laughs> That's fun <laughs> because none of them are standardized. Really? Every single act pair uh, of action screws sure, sure. has a different length. Yeah. Um, Red Hawk rifles, yep. the company that you like, mm -hmm. I ordered a set of action screws from them. They're like, we just, we're going to send you these long screws <laughs> and it's going to be your job to cut them down to the length you need. And it's like, I don't have this technology. <laughs> That's a fair proposition if you have the tools. <laughs> yeah. So I, 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 like you, I have a, a collection of <laughs> sets of action screws for yep. the Remington 700 and I've just gone with the best fit right now. Nice. The front action screw still quite isn't long enough. Like okay. when you open the bolt and you look into the chamber, well, the lug area, you can see that there's still, I'm still missing a few threads. Okay. And with a 30 out six, you want as much <laughs> uh, thread contact yeah. as yeah. possible. So yeah, we've talked big <laughs> screw is almost as bad as big pharma in the, in the food industry. If you this is for, terrible. If, if you, you work for a big <laughs> screw, I hope you never have another cold beer in your life. <laughs> See, let's get in some articles, man. Let's do it. I got one on um, uh, Doug actually wrote a pretty good article that we posted on AMT online about the consistency of change and transformative technology. So it's a oh, it's a good look at where we are as, um, you know, a manufacturing technology industry. Right. So the rate of uh, new technologies being released is mind boggling. You know, our feeds are constantly blowing up with new new machines new um modifications in new machines and uh, you know tangential technologies um, being brought in uh so a couple of quotes here you know so um while machining in the macro may be the same process it was 20 years ago in any given operation it may be entirely different everything from the chemistry uh of the inserts you know we've gone from uh significantly different materials on that side and coatings uh to the capacity of spindle drives control al algorithms uh, for each of the different axes. So even the, you know, a big machine, break it down to small components, changes throughout the entire machine, right? Even the coolants, the cool, the, you know, the brace of, uh, rate of change of you trying different coolants also, you know, yeah. it's, it's throughout the uh, entire article. And, you know, a good use case, right? So, yeah, if you talk about the technology, that's fine. But if you're using technology, what does that actually mean? So uh, Doug also talks about the concept of rapid prototyping. If you look back, you know, Doug keeps using the term 20 years. That's that's half my life, but fair point because I was early in the manufacturing industry then. Uh, so, you know, 20 years ago, if you said I need a rapid prototype something versus if I need a rapid prototype something now, the definitions are completely different. You know, so um, one of the use cases were uh, back in my previous company, um, we had a, a welded assembly and there was a casting on the end. So we had to verify that the uh, tooling uh, or the fixture for making that weld assembly was correct. Uh, when we needed, we needed mock-ups. So we had, you know, elbows, tubes um, uh, that we had in stock that we could rapidly uh, prototype to see if this thing fixed. Um, but we also had a casting on the end. Okay. The casting lead time was like a year. Really? It was really long. Just to get in the queue, get the material, get the the. That's almost as long pattern. as the uh, XRM7 from your factory. <laughs> it's outrageous. And it was early in the development cycle. So this is a new casting we, ha we had to make. But... We're not going to wait for a year to see, okay, this thing might work. <laughs> so we, we 3D printed the uh, casting, you know, the final version of the casting, and we put that into the uh, fixture. And we printed several different versions to, you know, account for the uh, tolerance variation that we're concerned about. Yeah. You know, that 
cycle, you know, took a week or so. To, Which is just a mock-up of the casting, Just a right? mock-up, yeah. Until the Until year-long the actual casting, one right. actually arrives. Exactly. You know, we're dealing super alloys. We're not going to print a, right. uh, a casting out of plastic and ship it. But yeah, the yeah, idea yeah. of a rapid prototype of testing something, right, that took a week. 20 years ago, how would, how would you have mocked up the casting? You'd have had some machine so components. So you guys actually did that? Yeah. That's yeah. sick. How much did that cost? Uh, we had a... Um, uh, a Stratus uh, uh, 3D printer in-house. Okay. So we just paid for the material. The printer that we had was like, uh, you know, like the 75K um, range. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So it's a great experiment. I mean, it's, it's exactly what we bought that machine to do is do things very quickly as fast as we could on the manufacturing floor. Right. So was, we weren't doing production through the um, printing, but it's a, the, you know, the idea of <clears throat> being able to rapid, rapidly test something or prove something. That's where we are uh, today. You know, the the big takeaway is that the time to manufacture, time to market, is significantly small, shorter than it was, you know, decades ago. And that's a big takeaway, is right. It's the our adoption and our implementation for new technologies has uh, become a a a, um, a a shorter cycle, right? So, you know, if you're in a manufacturing world, if you're a manufacturer, what does that mean? Right. Either you're constantly on the lookout for new technologies to make you faster, make you in a lot of cases more accurate, more resilient, um, but also ways to constantly harvest value. Right. How do you get to a faster manufacturing uh, process? How do you get how do you reduce your lead time to start cutting ships or yeah. how do you cut ships faster? So it was a cool article. I thought uh, I like his title. You like the title? Yeah. The consistency of change. In transformative technology. Consistency of change. <laughs> yeah. What's the doc from uh, Back to the Future? What's that guy's name? Oh, I the character's name? I don't know. With the flux capacitor? Oh, Doc Brown? Doc Brown. Yeah. Okay. Doug is acting like Doc Brown right now with that title. <laughs> the consistency of change. That's his flux capacitor. <laughs> He's trying to capacitate the change in something. Do you think Doug would appreciate being called Doc Brown? Y- uh, yeah. Okay. We'll try that later since it's just us three in the office. <laughs> okay. If he yells at us, he'll only I'll hear it. I guess we'll find out in about a week when he listens to this. <laughs> if he can get past the spiciness from our banter. Uh, you got an article on uh, robotics? Yes. All right. Which one? Let's go with the first. Let's go from left to right. Yeah, okay. let's do that. So this first one is from Unite.ai. I don't think I've ever read an article from this website. Okay. Full disclosure. Flexible robotic arm guided by AR goggles. That's cool. Ben, <laughs> we are so trend setting. Sure. Like, you know, our last episode sponsor, AM Radio yep. by Gardner Business Media um, with Stephanie Hendrickson and uh, uh, Pete Zielinski. They uh, they had a, uh, an episode of their podcast four months ago that right. was titled uh, The Additive Manufacturing Industry is being uh, dicta- directed. The development and advance in that industry is being led by curmudgeons. <laughs> That's us, bro. <laughs> We're the curmudgeons. <laughs> We're the curmudgeons. And, um, but to get back to trends that we're setting, not just following, um, you just published an article, or maybe you submitted article. the article, yep. but it's going to be published soon yep. of – what the heck happened to AR? <laughs> yeah. What's going on with AR? This is the freshest article. This is the freshest evidence we have now. The article's already been submitted. Yep. And somebody's read it <laughs> and decided to do something with it. But uh, 
What do you think of this? First off, flexible robotics yep. are really cool. Flexible arms, so they're trying to impl- imply a industrial application yep. using an arm. And then to because there's just not enough buzz going on, <laughs> they want to implement AR goggles to help control this robot. There's a lot going on in this article. There is so much going on. <laughs> That uh, I, don't, I think we should just stop there and move on to the next article. <laughs> well, I do want to differentiate one thing, sure. right? So flexible versus soft robotics. There is a subtle difference there that the audience should be aware of, right? So I think, okay. right? So our, Get us learned. Our, a standard robotic arm has specific joints where you have a motor and it only bends it at one point. When you go to the extreme of flex, uh, soft robotics, the entire arm is movable, but they use uh, either a liquid or a gas. Right. In pockets and it moves kind of like a bug at some point. Right. When you look at flexible uh, robotic arm, the entire arm is flexible. Right. But it's more rigid than soft robotics. So that's where we get into that industrial space. It's a middle ground between, you know, the hard rigidity of uh, jointed robotics uh, versus the softness of uh, soft robotics. So I think that that's that's a, uh, a subtlety where and then the integration of AR. Right. So um, I think what they're trying to do is. You know, you could do remote remote teaching of the of the robotic arm in a more natural way. So it's not you're not limited by um, the joints on the arm. You're limited by the flexibility of that uh, robotic arm in this case. The thing that boggles my mind is. You know, last week we had Andra here Mm -hmm. of uh, Silicon Valley Robotics and, you know, she mentioned to me in a meeting and and other people that were also in that meeting that the common upper limit that you typically see on robot arms, both industrial grade and like collaborative Mm -hmm. is really six, maybe seven joints. But we know they also, there are a handful, few companies that offer nine joint robot arms. Right. Infinite mount joints. <laughs> does a flexible, but not soft robotic yeah, robot, yeah. but a flexible, does, is it actually flexible or are there like actual joints in there that just, there's too many to that more than what's worth documenting. Uh, there's different ways to quantify the flexibility. So How does do- the arm move? Good question. We'll read the article and find out. <laughs> <laughs> we should try that next time. So the, yeah, it, it's a it's an emerging technology. Not a lot of people have adopted flexible robotics. I think it's worth ex- exploring how these how these things work. Not a lot of people have adopted AR. It's a match made in heaven. <laughs> All the fair points. Steve, cool. I've got one on additive, and your favorite company in the world, uh-huh. Sennheiser. Oh, yeah. All right, man. All right. I thought you were about to troll me. <laughs> no, but. no, that's for later in the afternoon. <laughs> so Sennheiser launches metal 3D printed IE 600 earphones. So IE 600 is their model. Um, so IEMs, right, not earphones. In-ear monitors or earbuds for the layperson. <laughs> that's a troll. <laughs> don't, okay, don't you. <laughs> They're in-ear monitors <laughs> because they go in your ear and they were originally developed so musicians could monitor what they're playing and what their particular instrument, if they're in a band, sounds like while the actual speaker cabinets that they're playing for the audience are cranked way up and blasting and melting their faces, they can still hear exactly what they're playing to make sure 
what is melting the faces of the audience still sounds good. <laughs> That's right. Which is why it's an in-ear monitor. And we've talked about 3D printed in-ear monitors before. The yes, variation is very here, common. The variation here is the housing uh, for these monitors are um, metallic. So the 3D right. printing metal. And this uh, is a consumer good. Consumer good. A mass right. produced consumer good. I'm going to look up the price on these right now. Because I that. bet you they're probably a thousand plus. So these are interesting material um, since it's electronics and it's uh, wearable uh, electronics. These zircon- zirconium, um, not too familiar with that. They use a special grade from uh, zirconium nitride. No, it just says zirconium. Zirconium. Okay. So interesting. And, wow. you know, they get into these Trump lasers for their system. So uh, it's a cool article. That Very cool. Article they talk about. And, um, you know, obviously, you know, 3D printing, you're going to have to require some kind of finishing because you're inserting electronics into the uh, the housing. So they're, um, they're finished uh, mostly by automation. But they are including some hand finishing also because gotcha. it's uh, so small. You can see the layerings in the product. Yep. Like, their, like when the page. actual had the actual picture up. Yep. That's a rendering, which is why it kind of looks all uh, pimply. Not pimply, but there, there you go. There's the layering. Yep. That's beautiful. Yeah. We'll include a link in the uh, description. So I thought it was a cool article that, you know, one we were getting to. Oh, uh, they're not using balanced armatures. This is a, a 10 millimeter dynamic driver. That's great news. I think <laughs> words. <laughs> so uh, interesting uh, material choice and, uh, you know, mass producing. It's fairly small, right? It's, it's an in-ear monitor. Yes. It's not, you know, the big headphones that I, I like to wear, but, uh, you know, I think it's a great, uh, take and they will see what the future looks like for Sennheiser and they Sennheiser is known to produce high quality goods for, uh, both uh, professionals and uh, consumer grade. Equipment, right. So, and then there's a, a few cool takeaways here. So number one, and most important to us, mm-hmm. this is metal AM being used for mass production. These right. are not custom fit IEMs. Correct. These are mass produced right. IEMs, which is awesome. Uh, you know, I'm a, 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 a article is about to be published that I authored about how, you know, additive manufacturing is by no means an emerging technology. It has emerged. It's here. You were just talking about how in your last job. You guys 3D printed a mock-up. No, yeah. that was a mock-up, and we've come a long way from mock-ups since then. But you worked for Eaton, right. a huge company that had already been implementing additive manufacturing, not necessarily for production, but you know for prototyping, right. which is still a big deal. It's stop calling it an emerging technology. <laughs> additive is here, right? Um, and and this is further proof on the consumer level, yep, and not a mock-up. This is mass production of a final product. That's sick. That's really awesome. Number two, then my second <laughs> cool takeaway yeah. is, you know, like you mentioned, uh, additive manufacturing, at least for polymer additive manufacturing, thermoplastic additive manufacturing has been used for a long time now right. in earbuds yep. manufacturing for, for both custom fit. Um, well, mostly for custom fit right. um, and not just uh, like SLA or um yeah, SLA mm-hmm. is used a little bit, um, but I digress. Um, this is the first case of metal additive, at least that I know of. For uh, ear. For, for in-ear ear. monitors. Yeah. Um, Not a lot of metal in in-ear monitors in general. Right. I think they've shifted away from that. So, it, Acoustically speaking, one of the beauties of using a metal is you're adding weight to the product. Sure. And that may cause discomfort for the user. Mm-hmm. Um 
long down the road. But typically weight is really good for acoustics yeah. in terms of minimizing reverberation yep. or at least unwanted reverberations or or like in the case of exhaust systems, drone mm-hmm. um, weight is always a good thing. That's yep. why titanium exhausts always sound really raspy <laughs> and gross. Right. Is the weight reduction worth it, bro? But, um, <laughs> you know, like like for, for any or this, this could be I, I'm really I bet you these have a really warm sound to them. Why don't you buy some and find out? Hold on. Let me. I, I still haven't found a price, so I might need to ask for a raise. <laughs> this could be a problem. We'll spend all our podcast budget on in your monitors. <laughs> but here's the frequency response curve, and it's a nice V-shaped curve. Nice. Let's get into the next articles, which is definitely for a consumer. Yeah, because typically for a musician, somebody who's using in-ear monitors for actual a, monitoring a wants a flat curve. curve. Yeah, that's the dilemma I face. A lot of the stuff I buy at home for um, uh, my home use, audio-wise, is very, very flat. When I come come to work with, them, I use my like Sony headphones, and it's got a, a different curve. Mm-hmm. I'm torn if I still like the flatness of it, or if I like the natural sound that's straight from them, or a little boosted from. Sometimes from the, you do just want just some subtle, gentle coloring yeah, to your audio. Yeah, coloring yeah. is the right word. Tell me about your next robotics article. Next, all right. So. Not necessarily robotic. This is about metrology. From oh. my favorite source, Metrology <laughs> News, um, the article came out March 7th, 2022, um, shaping the future of CMMs, coordinate measuring machines. Mm-hmm. This was really cool because the, in the first paragraph, the opening paragraph of the article, they say CMMs have been around for a long time. Right. Roughly 35 years. Sure. Which is cool <laughs> and, and, and also crazy. Yeah. It's like how how foundational this technology is to manufacturing, especially manufacturing good stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And they talk about how it's a really, it's really bulky technology and it takes up a lot of floor space and real estate and and headroom. And, and at first I realized, or I I was thinking to myself, I was like, that's every single CMM I've seen (laughs) is actually not that big. It's about the size of like, you know, a a table or a desk. Sure. And then I realized, then the well-written article goes on to the second paragraph to clarify, yeah, they're not that big. Right. But they need to, typically, traditionally speaking, they need to be secluded from right. the rest of the factory or the rest of the environment that exactly. they're in. They it, need to be in a lab. Yeah. Not necessarily clean room, but they need to be in a separate room from, like, right. you know, where your five-axis CNC would be. Temper- temperature variations is detrimental for accuracy right. in that case, yeah. So. This article is really cool because, um, again, the title is Shaping the Future of Coordinate Measuring Machines. Mm-hmm. They're highlighting the drive for all of these CMM manufacturers and metrology manufacturers, contact-based manufacturing, uh, manufacturers of CMMs and not just CMMs, but like, you know, I don't – the Renishaw Equator I don't think is exactly – it's not technically a CMM, but it's also a CMM. It it's does a, what a CMM does. It's a contact. But it's just like a, it's a delta arm right. version of a CMM where a CMM is typically like, you know, a three-axis gantry. Right. Um, but they – a lot of these companies are working to develop CMMs that can work on the shop floor. That's cool. And a lot of them are selling solutions. Like mm-hmm. so you don't just get the CMM. But you get a CMM and a robot and the robot is designed to take your part Mm -hmm. from the machine and put it on the CMM for you. That's clever. Um, Which is great for repeatability, which is very important with metrology and data collection. 
Um, and it, it's it, that's basically where the uh, article was going. They mentioned a lot of companies mm-hmm. and their modern forward thinking solutions. Yep. Uh, this was just a really fun article. That is. And, you know, it is cool to get a getting a a part that's verified out of your cell. Right. So if you're running a couple of machines, right. So right. Even if you're just running one machine, knowing that this part is good when it leaves your cell, yeah. that's an amazing feeling, right? Right. Not having to wait, you know, a couple of days because it's got to get the queue to the inspection lab and then get the results later. And the supervisor comes to yell at you that you're out of spec. You, you could have modified a program right. two parts in. And and, and think about like the, the amount of logistics that this is cutting down. Yeah. Because, you know, we've talked a lot about in the past few years, I want to say, about uh, closed loop or in yep. integrated metrology yep. in a machine. Well, yeah, you can put a touch probe in a CNC machine, mm-hmm. but it will never be CMM accurate. Right. Um, but also, you know, you just mentioned like once a part's being done or done being cut, you have to send it to inspection. Mm-hmm. Well, why is it got to go all the way to inspection? <laughs> and then you find out it has come all the way right. back from inspection that it failed. Yep. Why doesn't expect every operator technician uh, machinist has probably thought at some time in their career, why doesn't inspection come here and get it? True. And those companies have they answered the call and they're like, <laughs> you know, forget closed loop inspection, yeah. forget sending it to a different room in your facility. Yeah. How can we get metrology closer to where the action is happening? One subtle thing that I hope people also consider, you know, the, the automation side of it is fantastic, but sure. there are some subtleties once in a while. So, for example, you may have to clean the part before you put it on the CMM. You have to make sure that your program includes like deburring and uh, oh, all the radius, yeah. radius and things like that. So there's a couple of subtleties there, but overall, that's fantastic. See, so the, also, I love this one picture in the <laughs> article of like this big fanic arm. Yep putting something barely being able to fit into a Renshaw <laughs> equator to put something in place. I like that. You see the, you, the little UR robot on a hexagon solution. Mm-hmm. Um, Oh, another question I had, where is it? The Zeiss Duramax. Yeah. Which Duramax came first, <laughs> the Chevy diesel engine or the Zeiss? Chevy. I think they should duke this out. I think so. I'll, I'll put I'll put some calls in. We'll, f- okay. we'll figure this out. See, the last article I got is uh, a a good one, I guess. It's to know that governments uh, the government is investing into manufacturing. Uh, Commerce Department awards fifty four million in American Rescue Act grants to increase access to advanced manufacturing opportunities. Uh, so this is being funneled through NIST, uh, National Institute for Standards and Technology. Nice. Uh, How much money? Fifty four million. Going to uh, the the America Makes Institute. Well, I'll get there. Not in a America don't, Makes. Don't jump to the conclusion, Steve. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, they're they're awarded fifty four million for thirteen high pro- high impact projects, uh, research development, and test beds for pandemic response. So they're obviously looking at uh, what they've learned from the pandemic and how to continue moving forward because we're still in a pandemic. Um, the funding was provided by the American Rescue Act, which supports projects at eight manufacturing innovation institutes. Yep, your manufacturing USC institutes. Gotcha. Working with more, uh, more than 80 partners. Of. So I got a couple of the projects that they uh, and the institutes that are working on. Obviously, there's stuff on Big Pharma on there, which I kind of glossed over. I'm not too interested in those. And sure. audience probably sure. what are you um, a, uh, Arm out of uh, Pittsburgh, uh, PA, Advanced Robotics and Manufacturing. They got almost $5 million, uh, to create a robot, the robotics and automation uh, decision framework for agility and resilience. 
I don't know what's going on with that title, but uh, to allow small and medium-sized manufacturers to systemically evaluate cost-to-benefit ratios for integrating robots. Uh, so basically a spreadsheet that answers your question, should I buy a robot? And that'll always answer yes. Yeah, better. <laughs> um, MXD got $3.8 million to create a drug product marketplace orchestrator. Um, 3.8, you said? $3.8 million. Okay. Actually, they got two of them, so they had a great marketing team. Uh, the first one is uh, a marketplace for consumers and manufacturers of emergency health and medical goods to ensure rapid responses across the supply chain has met demand for particular items. So they're basically, you know, orchestrating who has needs and who can manufacture goods, right? So if you have a sudden need for um, face masks or something else, right, you put a need in the system and manufacturers can pull that need and manufacture on demand. American Makes actually did this uh, early in the pandemic with um, yeah. uh, some of the... Uh, uh, um, either test equipment um, for the for the virus or protective equipment, right? They asked uh, hospitals what their needs were, what face masks are looking for, and uh, manufacturers had their designs. They had kind of an open marketplace where they can pick and choose. And then the FDA got involved in kind of saying, yeah, this is okay, right? It's not, the, not truly certified, but it'll, it'll work in this pinch. Right. So it's kind of interesting. Uh, good orchest- um, orchestration. Uh, the second one they got was 2.3. Uh, three million uh, to create a privacy pr- protecting uh, health uh, local health uh, alert system to conduct um, contact tracing analysis. Oh, cool! So Use that's it. when your phone pops up and be like, "Hey, do you want to uh, activate this app <laughs> that we installed for you behind your back?" Exactly, but they want to test out using blockchain. So oh, of course, we'll see. Good marketing again. I'll go on record saying I'm not a big fan. Of blockchain? Of blockchain. I'm a fan of everything we've mentioned so far until blockchain. <laughs> the last one I got is our favorite, America Makes. Um, they're out of Youngstown, Ohio. They got $3 million to use additive manufacturing to create prototype of N95-level non-woven fil- filter material wow. for respiratory. How much uh, did they PG, get? Uh, $3 million. All right. We're still shy of 54 There's a bunch of other ones. Oh, okay. There's, there's but light. these were the fun ones. These are the fun ones that I like. There's 13 We don't pick projects. favorites, Ben. I do. Okay. <laughs> Steve, how can they find more info about us? You can find more info about us on amtonline.org slash resources. Subscribe. <laughs> unless you're big screw, you can go step on a Lego. Bye, everyone. Have a great day.